Welcome, listeners, to another Transformation Church Sermon Podcast. Let's prepare our hearts to receive the Word of God. Come on. Good morning, everybody. How you doing today? Man, y'all, you, you, guys, you guys cheered for my wife more than you cheered for me. That's what's over that. She deserves, she deserves more of honor and praise than I do. Come on, give it up for my wife. I love her so much. She, she is going to be amazing, and uh, she is amazing, and she is going to be amazing. She night. Uh, come on, one time, let's give it up for Jesus real quick in the house. Come on, he's worthy for, of everything. It's so good to celebrate and believe God with you. And uh, I believe for life change today. I believe God's going to do some miracles in your life today. I believe God's going to take our church to, to another place today. And uh, there's a city to be reached. How many know that? Um, I have a really good friend in town and we, we keep talking and he's like, there's 1.1 million people in Knoxville. There's 1.1 million people that need the gospel, that need church, that need God, that need freedom, that need marriages successful, need their children. I mean, 1.1 million people. Come on. I was just, that word was for me this morning as well. Get out of your tent and look up and believe God for 1.1 million people. We got a city to reach. And so I'm so thankful to be partnered with you in that. Um, we had an amazing man night. If you missed it, I'm sorry. We had barbecue, bull riding, and brisket. I mean, you can't... You, Come on, men. And we had about 50, more important than that, we had 50 men down here at the altar just in, in, encountering Jesus and having life change. And I really, I really believe, um, uh, I'm going to introduce my, my, my good friend. He's not just a friend. He's also one of our board members. But before that, he was a friend of mine and a friend of our family. And uh, he's got a gift on his life to, to preach and to bring breakthrough and, to, and just to see the power of God take people's lives to another level, and uh, he's, he and his wife have been pastoring an amazing church in Parkersburg, West Virginia. They, they started that church and uh, carved it out of the ground in the middle of Parkersburg, and they have an amazing church with thousands of people coming and, uh, and believing God to, to continue to reach that state, and he's impacting the entire world, really. He's impacting other regions, and it's an amazing, amazing thing to watch, and so we're in for an awesome treat. I've told him that, again, you guys are a loud and rowdy church, that you will shout him down and you'll help him preach. He, he, he helped me. He, he, we used to call this, we've, we've changed the, the terminology of what this is. We used to call this a lectern because a lot of people call it a podium, but a podium you stand on. And so you don't stand on this, right? This is a, I, I would call it a lectern, but we were talking. He goes, that's not a lectern. You have lectures behind a lectern. You can go get a TED Talk anywhere. This is a pulpit, this is a pulpit. And he goes, the reason it was named that is because it pulls the word or pulls us out of a pit. Yeah. And the word of God pulls us out of the pits of our life. And so I want you to open up your heart and give my good friend, Pastor Justin Enoch, a Transformation Church welcome as he steps behind this pulpit, brings the word of God. Love you. What's going on, church? Are you good? You good? Yeah. I, uh, man, what a, uh, I've never been to Knoxville before, and uh, I fell in love with your city. I've been challenging uh, your pastor that he has six months to change it. If not, I'm coming and planning a church here, and uh, I fell in love with it, and uh, 1.2 million people, I think I saw, uh, is what Siri told me, um, and I asked him what the largest church was in the area, and he said about 5,000. I said to them, what are you waiting on? What, what are you waiting on? There, there's a million one, whatever the math is on them for West Virginia, I'm not the smartest, so there's a million something that are waiting to be reached with the gospel. And uh, I do know this, our time's drawing short, 
Jesus is coming back and you're not here by accident. I hope you're not here just to check it off your box, but I believe that we're here to be equipped to, to go do something significant in your city. And uh, I just want to honor you. This is a great transformation church. Heard lots about it. Met your pastor uh, about six years ago, five years ago in Alabama and just kind of, kind of like a brother from another mother had the same spirit, had the same, I believe DNA. And I just want to honor you for a minute. You and your wife, Sandra are a blessing uh, you guys are called to this region. You are called to this house, and you are called to be a difference maker. Come on, can we honor your pastors today? Are you excited? Are you ex honored to have them? Are you a pretty? Yeah, they, some of you are catching it. Come on, they're worthy of honor in the house. They're the shepherds of the house. Come on, they're on the front line taking bullets for you. Come on, let's honor the men and women God's placed in authority over the house. And. Um, Greetings from uh, West Virginia. My family uh, is back at home holding it down. I have a loving wife. Uh, be 20 years in about two weeks. We've been married for 20 years. And uh, have, have three children, two, two daughters and an um, eight-year-old boy. And so we're doing the best that we can to make sure our kids are raised in the house of God. And um, yeah, I, I did change the name of this from elect to a pulpit. The guy who I kind of corrected when I first got here said, what were you, raised Baptist? And I said, I didn't respond. I said, I, I, I was raised in church, and I just believe this pulpit, like you can pull something out of me, and I can also pull something out of you, and, and uh, you can call me old school if you want. I'm a little old school in my preaching, but I believe that uh, God's got you here on purpose today to take a step in your faith. If you have your Bibles, let me go to Ezekiel chapter 47. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 47. I'm going to read about 12 passages of Scripture, and then we'll get started today. Ezekiel chapter 47 says this, the man brought me back to the entrance to the temple and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east for the temple faced the east for the water was coming down from under the south side of the temple catch this south of the altar he then brought me out of the north gate and led me around the outside of the outer gate facing the east and the water was now trickling from the south side for as the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep he measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was now up to my waist. And then he measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross. And because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim, swim in, it was a river that no one could cross. For he asked me, son of man, do you see this? For then he led me back to the bank of the river. For when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah where it enters the Dead Sea. For when it empties, catch this, into the sea, the salt water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. For there will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, come on, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shores, and there will be places for the spreading of nets. Notice they're not fishing with poles, but they're, they're fishing with nets. And the fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and the marshes will not become fresh, for they will be left there for the salt. Last scripture, fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither nor will their fruit fail. For every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves will serve for healing. Amen. Can we pray today? Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you for the Bible. God, we thank you that when we read it, 
Lord, it is nourishment for our souls. And so, Father, we simply, uh, we, we simply gather today, God, looking to, to, to hear from you. And your Bible does not any, doesn't need any help from me. It can preach all by itself. And so, Father, we simply illuminate your word today. And, Father, have your way. And we thank you in advance for the work you're going to do in each person here. There's not one person here that can't step a little closer to you today before they leave this place. And we thank you in advance for all you're going to do in this room. And it's in Jesus' name that I ask it. And everybody says amen. amen. Uh, I believe note takers are world changers and difference makers. I also believe that if you're a note taker, you make it to heaven first. And so I would, I, would, I would highly encourage you to take notes. And if you're taking notes, I've tagged the title today, 4,000 Cubits. 4,000 Cubits. There's a story of a girl that, that I read who kept falling out of her bed uh, every single night. Her mom and dad would take the child in and tuck her in and do the nightly thing. They would pray over her and get the, the, you know, the covers nice and tucked around her, and they would venture off to the room, and about 15, 20 minutes later, they would hear a, a thud. And sure enough, their daughter had rolled out of bed and fallen on the floor. And uh, this went on for, for weeks and months and months that every single night they would bring her in and pray for her and tuck her in and, and they would make sure she was safe and secure. They would leave the room, go back to the bedroom and they would, they would, they would be there 35, 40 minutes and all of a sudden the girl would fall out of her bed and they would, she would be laying on the floor. And finally around dinner one night, the, the mother asked and said, hey honey, why is, it, why is it that when your daddy and I tuck you in bed, it's 30 or 40 minutes later, that, that you fall out, like it's, it's all the time you're falling out of your bed. And the little girl responded with such a deep answer. She said, well, maybe mom, it's, it's because I stayed so close to where I got in. And I think the danger sometimes in our faith is that we, we jump in the river, but we don't go any further. Could it be in your life the reason you're facing some of the things you're facing isn't because God's not speaking, but you haven't moved? I believe our faith is one of that we don't just jump in faith and jump into Christianity and give our life to Jesus and stay. I think some, could it be some of the reasons that you're facing the things that you're facing? You're dealing with the thoughts that you're dealing with, the anxiety that you're dealing with, the, the, the friends that you're dealing with, the situations that you're dealing with. Could it simply be today that the reason you're facing those things is because you haven't moved a step from where you first found Christ? I believe there's something bigger God wants to do in your life. I, I believe, I believe, I believe we, when, we, when we find Christ and we get saved, I don't believe we, we find Jesus to go to heaven. Heaven's not the reason. Heaven's the reward. Jesus is the reason. Like, Jesus was the payment. And so when you get saved, that's just the first step of your faith. But I believe there's more for you. I believe there's something God wants to do more in your life. I believe God wants to do more through your family. I believe that, that our journey of faith is simply taking little step after step after step. I believe this. It's not how close you can stay to the world, but it's how far you can run away from it. I believe it's not, hey, how, how close can I, can, can, I, can I be in the world and can I blend in with the world? Well, yeah, you can, but you're not going to do anything significant for Christ. Like he didn't call you to blend in. He called you to stand out. He didn't call you to look like the world. He call, called you to be in the world, but not to be of the world. And so this idea of faith is not, is not how safe that you can play. It's not, it's not how safe you can live. It's not, it's, it's, it's not how, how shallow you can be. I just believe that God, God has something great for your life. And I preached this a little bit on Friday night. I believe the devil's favorite Christian is a quiet one. 
In other words, he doesn't mind if you find Jesus as long as your kids don't find him. He's okay with you being saved as long as you don't let your neighbors know that you're saved. He's he's okay to lose you, but he doesn't want to lose your grandkids and your grandkids' kids. The The devil's favorite Christian is a quiet one. Because when the devil hits, he doesn't just hit one deep, he's a legacy destroyer. He wants to take you out and your kids and your grandkids and your grandkids' kids. And so it's just important that he, he don't even mind you being saved, just don't go, don't go public in your faith and get baptized. Because he's okay if you just take one step, but he knows if you take multiple steps and you're walking this thing called faith out, the more you walk around darkness, God's light starts to shine. And so I just believe that, that God is... Is, is, is wanting to do something like in your life. I think that no matter where you find yourself at today, there's, there's another step for, for your faith. Like no matter how long you've been saved, you might be 80 years old, been saved 50 years and think you know everything. No, this word is called the living word. Like every time I read it, there's new revelation. Every time I open it, God speaks a new word. Like no matter how great or how, or how new or how old I am in the faith, like we still have room to grow in, in our relationship with Christ. And I think the danger that we face in the church is we try to be like the world. Like we, 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 we're the, we are the generation of coffee shop churches. Come as you are, which is cool. Come as you are. Like we try to, we try to be like the world. Like we want to be, we, 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 be, we don't, we don't want to be too crazy. We don't want to be too radical. We don't want to be too loud. We, we don't want to make a lot of noise because we don't want people to feel like we're weird. And the danger that we face in America today in the local church is that we have grown to think normal is okay. Let me tell you, your next challenge in this church is to fight off the spirit of normal. Like when Jesus saved you, the last thing you need to do is become normal. Normal people are weird people. Jesus didn't call us to be normal. He didn't call us to be weird, but he did call us to stand up and to stand out and to take a stand for what really matters. Like, like we're called to be different. We're called to stand up for what's right. Like, if you're a Christian, don't cuss. Should have even had to preach that, but I feel like I got to preach it. Like, I just think, like, I'm old school a little bit. Like, I believe, like, if you're saved, you should act like it. Like, and I grew up, there are some things Christian people did not do that now Christians are now doing. And I'm not a holy roller type guy. I'm not a holiness type of guy, but I, I do believe that, that we should grow closer to Christ through sanctification. Like, I do believe if you're a Christian, like, don't, you shouldn't be a social drinker. Is this too hard? Like, I'm not against having a, a, a drink, but I just think, like, if you're a Christian, like, Paul says, don't be a stumbling block. But now, like, we don't want to be weird, and so we, 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 we kind of come to accept it. I'm just saying that don't be normal. If you're a Christian, don't sleep around. Keep it in, but just because you've got to stay pure. Like, you shouldn't be sleeping around. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be. It's not, it's not okay to test drive the car. Like, don't, you don't got, it's going to be good. I promise it's good. God designed it. It's amazing. Sex is amazing in the confines of marriage. Come on, the last thing your friends need you to do is be normal. The last thing Knoxville needs is another normal church and another development. 
like the last thing your, your kids need is for you to be a normal Christian. Now we're not called to be normal. Like we can't afford to be normal. We can't afford to be average. There's 1.2 million people. Since when is it okay to come in and make more noise about the volunteers than you do about Jesus? Like, I don't want to be normal. I see it all the time, normal worship. Saw a little bit today in the room, pouring our hearts out to God and half the room just... It's because it's normal. Now, if you knew, if you knew how holy our God was... You, 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 wouldn't want, you, would, you wouldn't want to keep him here. You'd want to surrender to a holy God because he's good. But yet we're church, we've watered down the church. We've watered it down to where it's just normal. Normal songs, normal band, no, normal team, normal greeting, normal pastoring, normal sermons. Don't want to preach too hard. Don't want to offend anybody. Don't want to offend the Republicans. Don't want to offend the Democrats. And in my opinion, they're both jacked up and they're both wrong. Can we just stand in the middle and be kingdom? But we're normal, normal expectation. Ah, it's just another Sunday. It's not Easter. Well, God moves on other Sundays than just Easter. Like, it's not just another Sunday. Like, no, this is the day the Lord has made. That's what the Bible says. We're to rejoice and be glad in it. I feel like I'm preaching good today. Normal volunteers who call off half the time they're scheduled. Normal smiles, normal greeting, normal gifts in the offering. Normal, I believe, is completely overrated. And I would say, I'm not your pastor, but if I was, I would say normal is not welcome here. Here's what I know about normal. It don't attract no one. Being average don't attract no one but average people. But I believe that when you make the decision to step out in faith, to totally commit yourself to Christ and his will for your life, You'll no longer settle for average. You'll no, you'll no longer settle for normal. I believe when you really get a glimpse of what God wants to do, you won't look at another Sunday the same. I, I would say, like, more important than a Sunday, you'll never look at your Monday the same. Because if you want your, your city to change, it ain't changing on Sunday. The devil wants you to think it changes on Sunday. It don't change on Sunday. It changes on Monday. It changes on Tuesday. What are you talking about, preacher? Well, the only way the church grows is if it's people invite. We can sit here with the coolest building and a cool logo and beautiful facility and think, man, people are going to come to this church. Man, they don't even know you're here. Like, I, I see a few empty seats, and I think, man, when I see an empty seat, I see a person. So what person in your life that if they would have knew there was a spot for them, they would have been here? Not from another church in town, but somebody that needs the, needs the love of Christ in their life. Because when you get a taste of that, you, you, won't, you won't look at your workplace the same. You won't look at a, at a ball game that you're going to with your kids ever, ever again the same. I believe that if there ever was a time the church is needed, it's today. If there ever was a time that your friends need the love of God, it's today. I believe there was ever a time to stand up and lead your family the way God has called you to lead your family. I believe it's today. I wonder when the last time this city said something about this church that, that it's something more than normal. That, man, those people are the furthest thing from normal. Man, they get rowdy in worship. They talk back to the preacher. They're generous with their money after they go out to eat. They're not stingy. One of the most called off days of the week is Sunday because church people are known to be stingy. But what if this church, you had invite cards in hand and you go out to eat and you left a good tip and you left a, you left a 
Transformation Church uh, invite. If you're going to be stingy, find another church to invite and leave that on the table. But if you're part of this house, come on, we're generous people because we ain't normal. We ain't normal. Normal, norm, no, no, normal is, is now the average. Let me, let me tell you, what's happening in this church is the normal. I know it may look normal to you, but about two years ago, there was no church. It was online. We didn't know if anybody was coming back. And what's happening here isn't happening everywhere. I'm just telling you, it's not, it's, this is not the normal. Like, if you, matter of fact, if you would travel around the country and even probably in your city, dare I say, in your city and go to certain churches, you would not find rooms that look like this room. You would find churches that are all white or they would be all black or they would all be this way or they would all be that they would be segregated. Like that, 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 that's what was normal. Like in this city, you would, you, you would, you would see quiet rooms and you would see nobody wanting to pray and lay hands on people. You would walk in and there would be no expectation. You would have nobody talking back to the preacher. You would have still environments, quiet responses, very few people shouting. Very few people excited. Very few people who are willing to go outside of themselves to make somebody feel welcome. I guess what I'm trying to say is that we have a responsibility as Christian people to set the standard, to set the bar for what it looks like to be a spirit-filled believer. I just, at our church, and I'm sure it's the same here, like, I don't want to grow cold as I grow old. I never want to lose the passion of when I first found Christ. Like, I never want to take a sermon as just a sermon. This might be the last one that I ever give. And so I I, I never want to just take it for granted. I I never want to show up and just go through worship and just make a couple song choices and say, yeah, it's not going to be a big deal. It's just a Sunday. I never want to go through the motions. I never want to show up with no expectation. I I never want to open up the front door and say, no, you can't come because you got some. I never want to grow cold as I grow old. I never want to get so used to Jesus that I treat him like my friend instead of my savior. And the danger is sometimes you can be around the miracle of a house so long you you lost the awe for what is happening in the room. And I just got it wrote down this way that the older we get, the more we should fall in love with him. Like the longer you're around God's house, the more you should hunger after it. Like the longer you've been in church and the longer you've seen God, like you should be, if you've been in this church six years and you can remember, man, I remember when God saved that family. I remember when God healed that alcoholic. I remember when God set that drug addict free. I remember when that marriage was restored. Like there's something, the longer you're around the house, come on, the more in love with him you should be. Like I've seen too much not to believe. Like, I've seen God do too much. I've seen God fill rooms. I've seen God save people. I've seen people be water baptized. I've seen bodies be healed. And the longer I'm around this thing called faith, come on, the more I fall in love with his goodness. And I just think the danger is in our world today, especially in the church, is we're seeing a people be satisfied in ankle-deep waters when there's, when there's, when there's, when there's deep, deep waters ahead. And some of y'all like playing in the kiddie pool, ankle deep faith. Let me just tell you about the kiddie pool. That's where, that's where people pee. Y'all playing there thinking it's cool. Been saved 30 years. You're still an anchor. You're playing in the kiddie pool with all the other adult Christians peeing in the pool, thinking it's awesome. 
And sometimes, you, you know, there, there's a place for ankle deep faith, but it's not to live your whole life there. Sometimes you got to be willing to stir up the gift that God's given you. And if you don't, you don't stir it up, that's why the Apostle Paul says you got to stir up that gift. You got to don't just stir it up once a year like it's every day. I'm stirring up the gift because the devil's trying to steal my gift. He's trying to, he's trying to rob my gift. And if I don't stir it, it settles. You ever make sweet tea and it sits in your refrigerator for a month? All that sugar, what does what? Goes to the bottom. About three years ago, I went through a drive-thru at McDonald's in, in our city and uh, wanted a sweet tea. How many people love McDonald's sweet tea? It's great sweet tea. Never drank one since, but I went there that day to get a sweet tea. And I said, I'll take a 99 cent. I'm a pastor. I gotta eat. I'm, I'm, I'm cheap. I got to have a dollar sweet tea. I said, I'll take a dollar sweet tea. And I pulled up to the window, and this guy was mixing the sweet tea, not with a spoon. With his, don't come to West Virginia. That's how we roll. <laughs> Elbow deep in my sweet tea. I said, the Lord just spoke. I want a Coca-Cola instead. <laughs> and the Lord spoke to me saying that that is just like it is in the spiritual. That some of that stuff has settled so long. You better go, you better go elbow deep in your spirit and start stirring up the gift that God has given you. Some of y'all walking around depressed and to popping pills. You wouldn't have to pop a pill if you learned how to stir up the gift of joy God's placed down in your life. Am I preaching today? Am I preaching? Some of y'all need to stir up that gift. Like you better go deep in that and stir up that gift. I don't know, but these last two years, like, I just feel like the devil hit, hit, hit a hornet's nest for the last time with a broom handle. And what, when I, I, we made it through COVID, I said, I'm never preaching the same again. I don't got a Sunday to waste. And, and I, I just know that if you look around our world today, man, like our world is parched. They're, they're thirsty. They're dry. They're looking for something to satisfy what, what, what they're looking to get from the world. There's nothing that this world will prescribe to you that will fix what Jesus can do for you. The world always gives you something that looks like it will work, but never works. It'll always leave you thirsty. And here's what the problem I have with the local church is we're going to the world to find what we should be coming to the house of God to find. Like we should be coming to God's house to find it. How can the world give you something they do not have? All they do is prescribe fear and hatred and division. And we're going to the world thinking it's going to solve my problems? Man, I'm going to find my problem in the house of God. I'm going to find the answer to my problem at the throne of God. I'm going to find my answer to my problem with, a, with an elder laying hands on me and anointing me with oil and pleading the blood of Christ over my life. And here's what I'm saying. I believe we let the dryness of the world start to impact the church. Well, how do you know you're dry? Let me help you. If you here, here's how you know if you're drying out as a Christian. If you can go through an entire worship set and never raise your hands to him. You might be dry. Let those offering buckets pass and never put a gift in the bucket. might be dry. If you can come to church more than a week or two and never extend an invite for somebody to come with you, it might be dry. 
the church is, is, is called to be, be life-giving. Like we should be the Chick-fil-A of churches. Right? How many people love them some Chick-fil-A? Like no matter where you go in Chick-fil-A, like they have a great culture. I've been in Chicago, Illinois at the airport, the rudest place in America. Go up to Chick-fil-A. What do they say? How may I serve you? And then when I'm done ordering, my pleasure. Now, Chick-fil-A, they're always great to see you to your face. What happens behind that door when they go back to the break room? Nobody knows. Like, I, I love me some Popeyes, but I ain't got three weeks to wait for my chicken sandwich. Chick-fil-A can have a mile-long line, and you're in and out less than five minutes. Like, the church, it needs to be more like Chick-fil-A. Like, we, we, should, we, should, we, should be, we should be loving people like nobody in the church. Like, what I told Pastor Jamie is, well, you've got to do something better than any other church is doing it. He said, well, in Knoxville, they don't drive that long. I said, well, we drove across town to go to Roos Chris Steakhouse. We could have went the Longhorn or Texas Roadhouse, but we wanted a good piece of meat. We drove 25 minutes. So you're telling me people will drive to eat a steak but won't drive to come experience the power of God? I got news. They'll drive here to hear the power of God. If something's happening in this room, I'm telling you that exit's not big enough for what God wants to do. I got faith to believe for it. Like the church is the hope of the world. It's God's plan A. There is no plan B. I think if you look at Ezekiel 47, it says something so profound that, 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 that the water started flowing from the altar. It didn't start in the world. It didn't start in secularism. But the water started flowing from the south side of the altar. And I, I just a little bit, I'm a little old school. I'm, I'm, a little, I'm a little old school in my thinking. I believe that everything starts at the altar. I used to go to, we used to have a little altar that was built in the church I was raised in, and we would go fall at the altar, and we'd hug the altar. I believe there's power in the altar. This is an altar. Where you're seated is an altar. Like, it's a place that's sacred that you meet with God, and I always like to tell people, like, when you find God or he does something in your life, like, where you're standing, build an altar. X marks the spot, and when the devil comes in and tries to feed you some doubt, you walk him back to the altar where God spoke to you. Abraham built an altar, and all the great men of God built an altar. Like, I believe your family should be raised in the altar. Like, at your house, you should have an altar. Make, your, make the couch in your living room an altar. But start your day at the altar. Pray around the altar. Anoint your kids with oil at the altar. Like, I believe that, that our world and nation need to get back to the altar. Like, we're, we're, we're called to be, like, I believe life starts at the altar. But notice where it starts. It starts as a trickle at the altar. Meaning that the further it goes, the stronger it becomes. Some of us are satisfied with a trickle. A little dab will do you. It doesn't work like that. Not in our culture. We don't have, we don't have time for Flintstone faith. Like It's got to be bigger. It's got to be deeper. It's got to be stronger. And over and over in the Bible, we see stories of water, and we see stories of dryness. And the Bible says in Genesis 1 that in the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved where? Upon the face of the waters. 
So in Genesis chapter 1, God was wanting to let you know that the Spirit of God is attracted to something that is life-giving. Mark chapter 12, verse 43 says, when an unclean spirit is gone out of a man, the spirit of wickedness is gone out of a man, the spirit of darkness is gone out of a man, check this, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and finding none. Could it be there's something strong about the water? Could it be there's something symbolic about the water? Could it be that when, and, and, and when Naaman was called to dip seven times in 2 Kings chapter 5 and he dipped seven times in the water, that it was a sign that water could bring healing? Could it be that when the Jordan River was parted and the Red Sea was parted, could it mean that water being parted was symbolic of God being our provider? Could it be in John chapter 2 when water was turned into wine? That could it be that God was saying there's something power that can happen with your normal life if you give it over to God and let him touch you with the power of God? Could it be there's something powerful about the water? Could it be in John chapter 4 when Jesus met the woman at the well and she was thirsty and going there to get some water and she had a conversation with Jesus and he said, hey, you don't need this type of water, but you would drink the water I give you. You would drink it and never thirst again. Could it be that the water of what Jesus is speaking in is salvation to our life? Could it be in Mark chapter 5 when Jesus cast out the legion of demons and sent them into the pigs and the pigs ran where? Into the water, could the water symbolize the chain-breaking power of sin and stronghold on our life that only comes when we get to the feet of Jesus? I just believe there's something powerful about the water. This whole scripture in Ezekiel 47 has a picture of rivers and swamps and wastelands. Rivers, I believe, when they're flowing and they're in order, they're, they're beautiful. When we're traveling down here from West Virginia, we slammed on the brakes two or three times because the beauty of the river that was flowing within the banks. And when they're full, when rivers are full and they're, they're flowing the way God designed them, they, they actually supply other, other creeks and streams with water that overflows from that river. They, they are a source of, of provision for other places. And I just want to tell you, as the local church, we should strive to be a river that God blesses this house. We're called to bless other houses. And when you're faithful and you're giving at this house, you set it up to be able to be a blessing to some other ministry and some other child. I'm just telling you, like there's a, there's a design to be a river. Rivers when they run full, but when a drought happens, drought causes the rivers to dry up, causes streams to dry up, causes cracks in the, in the foundation to dry up because there is no water running in the river. I just want to encourage you, people of God, we're designed to be like a river. Like we're, we're designed in our life to be, have an overflow of how good God's been to me, that if he's been good to me, I want to be a blessing to them. And could it be you're living paycheck to paycheck because you're not operating like a river, but you're operating like a swamp and you're blaming God for not providing, but God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Could it be that the reason you're in financial strain is because you're simply tipping God instead of bringing God the whole tithe into the house? I'm going home in a few hours so I can stir up your church and leave. The book of Proverbs says the world of the generous gets larger, than, larger and larger. The world of stingy gets smaller and smaller. There's a reason why God wants you to be a river of blessing. There's rivers that are beautiful, and then there's swamps. Swamps, they're, you know, unless you're from Louisiana, swamps are nasty. I've been around a few swamps in my life. What, I, what I've known about swamps is alligators live there. 
Alligators mean to take you out. Like that's where the you get into a swampy land. You got to be aware of your surroundings because man, there's no life in the swamp. There's enemies in the swamp. There's alligators in the swamp, and you got to be you got to make sure you stay away from the swamp. Like now, that's the swamps. They smell, don't they? Like they're stagnant and have a smell to them. You ever been to a church that smells bad? Not physically, but spiritually. Sometimes both because they let the river of God dry up and now they become swampish in their theology. They become swampish in their culture. Swamps, they, they, they're, they're stagnant bodies of water. They, 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 they attract mosquitoes. They, mosquitoes love to latch on in swamps and suck the life out of people. Like, you ever been to a church and have a mosquito and a spirit latch on to you and want to suck the life? Like, if they can't be happy, you're not going to be happy? Like, if their son ain't saved and your son ain't getting saved... Like, just latch on. Swamps, man, they attract bacteria. Like, bacteria lives. You don't want to go swimming in the swamp. You want to stay away from being in the swamp. Like, swamp's not something that you're attracted to. It's not an attraction. You're not going to pull up a lawn chair and drink a Coca-Cola and eat a bag of chips at the swamp. You're not going to slam on the brakes and say, whoa, man, did you see how amazing that swamp is? But no, swamps are filled with bacteria. They're filled with infections. And that's why so many religious people love small churches. Because they can manipulate and control. Am I preaching? Because if they can't control and manipulate, they got to trust the pastor to lead the church. And so, so that's why religious people love to keep the church small. That's why you have church splits. Not because God ain't moving, but you have too much bacteria. I better move on. But swamps, like, like, like they're not a tourist attraction. Like, they're not overpopulated. But I believe if you find a river, like the Tennessee River, the Clinch River, the Great Smoky Mountain, like when you see that, like it's an attraction. 12 million people a year come what? To look at the river. So don't tell me people aren't going to drive 30 minutes to come to the river. Like this is an attraction. This is a moment. This is a place where you can find God. It's a place you can get set free from addiction. You don't got to waste your time with 12-step process. I believe you can have a one-step process. I believe if the church would ever wake up to what its potential is, we would stop making excuses as to why we're not growing. If we would simply be functioning the way God's called us to function, people would drive from miles away, states away, to see what's happening in God's house. Rivers, here's what I know about rivers. Rivers can guide us and they have a current. How many people know there's a current to the Holy Spirit? Like you can get in the current of God and if you get in the current of God, you don't really have to even work your way. You just kind of float with the current of the Holy Spirit. He's kind of going to lead you and he's going to guide you and he's going to open up doors and there's just a place you can get to in your faith that's not hard. It's not easy, but you're not working and striving. It's it's Jesus and it's easy and he's just show. I just believe you can get into a current and you can flow with the Holy Spirit where he can lead you. When you find a river, they, they guide you. Here's what I know about rivers. They don't jump in you. You jump in them. You're the one that's got to change. Jesus ain't changing. He's not endorsing your lifestyle. He's not going to say it's okay to live in sin. Like, no, you got to change. You got to jump in the river. And when you jump in the river, you got to leave some stuff on the bank of the river because God wants to do something great in your life. Like, like you got to find your flow and... When you start to flow in the same direction of the Holy Spirit, I believe you're, you, you finally understand what it's like to fully trust in God. When you are submersed in the river, devil, devils can't stop it. Critics can't stop it. Angry Christians can't stop it. Demons can't stop it. Like when you're in the river of God, something magical happens. 
So Ezekiel says, hey, I'm going to take you out to 1,000 cubits. And he takes him out 1,000 cubits, and he finds himself in ankle-deep water. Some of you are in ankle-deep water today. It's okay. No judgment here. I was at the vacation in June, and I was on a beach, and I was in a chair, wasn't in the water. I was ankle-deep. But I turned around, and I saw, like, on the, edge of the, on, on the edge of the beach, closest to the pier, there were people with tents and margaritas and beach chairs. They were just having a great time, living it up while the water was there. It was a beautiful, beautiful day. They were in a beach chair. And then you had people halfway in between the beach chair and the water on a, on a towel sunbathing. They were just kind of there. They were there. They were enjoying it. They weren't in the water, but they were there. Then you had kids playing in ankle-deep water. You had people, you had people out there knee-deep. You had people out there waist-deep. And then you had people that just looked like I could just barely see their heads bobbing in the water. And man, the Lord spoke to me and said, hey, that's Ezekiel 47. I'm trying, to t- I'm trying to talk to you right now. Listen to what I'm saying. He started talking about ankle-deep Christianity, and some of us are in ankle-deep faith. These are people who get saved but don't go nowhere. People that come to church once in a while but n- never fully jump into things of God, come once a month when their schedules fit, when their kids don't have a baseball game, they're coming to church, they're giving occasionally, they serve a little bit, they, they never lead, they never worship, they... They invite on Easter and Christmas. Ankle-deep Christians, they've adjusted their moral compass. They don't smoke like they used to. They don't drink like they used to. They don't do it as much as they used to. They go to Winter Jam. They buy the Christian t-shirt. They have Follow Me to Church on Sunday bumper stickers, but that's about as far as it goes in their faith walk. They're ankle-deep. These are the people that, that think like they're up, that they... The church won't survive if they don't show up. That's ankle-deep faith. Like, we're not here. If you're a Christ follower, you're here to be equipped to go help change your city. Like, you're not here so we can just, you know, coddle you and make sure you're good. Now, we'll do that. It's called pastoring. It's called shepherding. But, but you're called to be a change agent. Like, ankle-deep Christians. And then so you have ankle-deep faith. And then the Bible says he took about another thousand cubits and he went into what's called knee-deep water. Knee-deep water is a little deeper than ankle-deep. They're on their way to being, being sold out to Christ. They're, they're, being, they're, they're ready to be full on for Jesus. They read their Bible a little bit. They worship a little bit when their favorite song is sung and the, the, the team's good and the music sounds right. The sound's not too wonky, but it sounds right. Then in that moment, you feel the little goosebumps. Okay, that means I can raise my hand. That, that's needed Christianity. They give a little bit. They serve occasionally. They, they, they do just enough that the pastor knows they're at church. It's knee deep. There's another thousand cubits they measure off. You go into waist deep. Now, when you're waist deep, it's the point of no return. Like, I'm at waist deep water. I've got two choices, to go back to the shore of safety or to continue to trust God with everything he's calling me to do. Because the longer I step, the more I've got to trust. Like, I can control it here. I can manipulate it here. I, I, can, I, I can make things work when I'm in waist deep. But God is asking, do you have enough faith in me and trust in me to step out from waist deep water into a place of full submersion in me? And so he measured off another thousand cubits and goes into water that he cannot touch. I call this the old crap zone. Where you're so far in, like you're, you're all in. Whatever you need, pastor, I'm going to do it. We need, we, need a rate, we, need, we, need a rate, we need to take an offering to expand our building. I'm going to be the first one that gives the seed. You need, you, need, you need to rock a baby. I don't even like kids, but I'm going to rock a baby in Jesus' name. I'm going to love them for an hour because I'm all in. If you, you need me to humble myself, you need me to do that, I'm going to do whatever. I'm, I'm all in. You need me, I'm going to be there for you. 
I'm going to show up early and pray. I'm going to show up early and stay late. I'm going to sweep off the parking lot. I'm going to unclog the toilet. Whatever it is that you need, I'm going to do it because I'm all in. Trusting God all in. Here's what the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said. There's a process to stepping and growing in faith. And he said the church has gotten it backwards. Jesus designed our faith to be stepped ankle, knee, waist, all in. I'm seeing it more and more in the church where we're living that in reverse where we're getting saved and jumping all in, giving all that we can for three months, and then not staying afloat and drowning and tapping out and say, the church isn't for me, it burned me out. Yes, because you did it backwards. It's not, it's not meant to be designed to jump in and be all in all the time. No, there's, there's steps of faith. And it's okay if you're on the beach chair today sipping a margarita. It's okay, just identify where you are. Some of you are in knee-deep water. It's okay. Just identify where you are. But don't go backwards. Some of you have been from another church. You're like, man, I've served my other church. They burned me out. No, you burnt yourself out. You were all in too quick. Go in knee-deep and serve and love the house of God and build your family on the house of God. Here's the danger I want to end with is sometimes as Christian people, the people that are all in, Get that judgmental spirit and, well, you're only ankle deep. How dare you speak into my life? Well, you're only, you're, you're only waist deep. Why don't you come out here with me? Like, I'm the one, I'm the biggest giver in this church. I serve every week. Don't you tell me. Don't, I don't need to, I don't need you to talk. No, you, no, you just stay there. You might be in all in for Christ, but you ain't living like you're all in for Christ. Because if you're all in, and you're out there waiting and you're trusting God and you're believing in God and you're leaning on God. When you see somebody back there waiting in knee-deep water, you know what you should be doing is, hey, come on, man, let me help you get closer. Hey, it's small group sign up today. Let's join a group together. Hey, come on, let's do something great for God. Come on, God's called us to live 4,000 cubits deep. Let's not live and satisfy on the edge of safety any longer. I pray the next time I come, there's three times as many people attending this church and I pray this wall's knocked out and there's more seating out there. I believe I want to see a bigger building. I, I want to know that, hey man, this church is all in for Christ because one day soon, he's coming back. Come on, let's be a church that a church alive is worth the drive. Be a church that's 4,000 cubits deep where we're trusting in God. I don't know how God's going to do it, but he told me, this is what he told me and I'm going to do it. I'm going to trust in him. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's going to do it because he told me he was, I'm, I'm just going to trust in him. It's called, it's called all in faith. With every head bowed, every eye closed across this room, I simply want to give you a chance to respond. And... Undoubtedly, there are people from all different areas of this text ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep. Some of y'all all in and great, stay there, but bring people along the journey with you. If you're here today and say, preacher, there's a step in my faith I need to take. Like there's something more I can be doing. If you're not serving, I'm going to sign up to serve. And if you're not in a group, you're going to, before you leave this place, you're going to join a group. Why does it matter? Because you need accountability in your life. You need friends in your life. 
No matter where you are, I believe there's a step for you in Christ that he has for you. With nobody looking around, I simply want to give you a chance to respond in faith and say, preacher, would you, uh, would you pray for me? There's a step that I need to take. Maybe it's as a, as a couple. Maybe it's individually. Maybe it's in your giving. Maybe it's just in your daily routine with Christ. Maybe you need to open up God's word more. You need to take a step and get out of that ankle deep water and you want to swim where the water's deep. If that's you, can I see your hands just all across this room? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. I need to take a step today. I need to take a step. Leave them up. Leave them up. Leave them up. We're almost done. I just want to pray. I want to take a step, preacher. I'm not going to call you down front. So if that's what you're scared of, raise your hand. You can, you can raise that. I want to, I want to do my part, preacher. I, I, there, there's room for me to grow. I know there is. I'm stepping today with you. Father, we thank you for every hand that I see stretched across this room today. God, we're thankful for your spirit that speaks so strongly to us and God, we pray this will be a house of refreshing, that, God, this would be, be a house that is built upon the name of Jesus, and which it is and it forever will be. But, God, I pray specifically for the ones in this room that felt the touch of God and responded by lifting their hand, that I don't know what the step is in their life. I don't know what you're wanting to do in their life. But, God, you do. And so, Father, if it's knee to waist, if it's ankle to knee, God, whatever it is, God, let us take steps. We don't want to get there too fast and burn out. We want to be there all the way through the journey. Sustain us. Fill us. Use us. And, God, I pray a special blessing on this house and this city that it will never be the same again. That neighborhoods will never look the same. Households will never operate the same. Workplaces will never be the same. But, God, we will become change agents. We will not be normal when we leave here. That, God, we will catch the glimpse of the vision of what it means to be saved, what it means to be enlisted in the army of God, that we are called not to just be saved, but to go find and help other people get saved. Father, let this church be contagious, God. Let this church become passionate. God, let, let, let this church, Lord, be a beacon of light to this community. And, God, 45 miles in each direction, God, I pray people drive. God, let revival break out. Let this be the place where hope is found and healing is found and restoration is found. And God, we thank you in advance for what's about ready to break out in this region. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. And everybody says amen. Thank you for listening to another Transformation Church sermon podcast. If you would like someone to pray with you, or if you would like some ministry materials, please email us at hello at transformationchurch.us.